Pastor John here saying we're glad you've tuned into our broadcast. You know, we live in a culture that worships youth and sometimes marginalizes the aged. It might surprise you to find that things weren't much different in David's time. Join us as we look at David's struggles with his advanced age and what he did about it. I'd like you to turn to Psalm 71. Here's what the word of the Lord says. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Never, let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You've given the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. I've been as a portent to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. For my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together and say, God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. O God, be not far from me. O my God, make haste to help me. May my rescuers, may my accusers be put to shame and consumed with scorn and disgrace. May they be covered who seek my hurt. But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day. For their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. Oh God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those who come. Your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? You've made me see many troubles and calamities. You will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. I will also praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praises to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy. I will sing praises to you, my soul also, which you have redeemed. And my tongue will talk of your righteousness. Help all the day long, for they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me hurt. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Amen. I got to tell you something. You know, I've been working on this for a while. And I've been delayed several times, I think, by the Lord. This sermon is deeply personal for me. But I don't want, I don't want you to think that it's about me. 
Because I believe, I believe this sermon is about us. Some of the things we've been through, some of the things we're going through, and some of the things we're going to go through. So as we, as we hear what the Word of God says in David's life, let's be thinking about how, how it might apply to us. Amen? Anybody ever watch a James Bond movie? You don't have to raise your hand. I don't want to embarrass you. I, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I've seen them all. In 1962, Sean Connery came out as the star of the first James Bond movie. He made five films, five movies. George Lazenby did the sixth one. You remember him? He did one. Roger Moore took over for another six movies. Then in, in 1983... Connery was 53 years old, came back and did one last movie. I'm not going to tell you the title of it because I can't recommend the movie to you. Okay? But the premise of the movie, if, if you read the novel that they published with it, was that James Bond is older. And he's not able to do the things that he was able to do when he was young. He's not quite as fast. He's, he's not quite as physical. So he's got to be smarter. And what we have in this movie in 1983 is a James Bond who has more experience and is actually a far better secret agent than he was when he was younger. He's not quite as impulsive. He might not be quite as physical, but he's a lot more wise when it comes to how he deals with situations around him. So here's what I'm here to tell you today. Getting older can mean getting better. Somebody say amen. Yeah. I got everybody to say amen. Thank you. So, getting older can mean getting better. And we have to deal with the realities of aging, but it's okay. We'll get to that. I want to talk to you about Psalm 70, 71. Most biblical scholars attribute them to David. Uh, and in these Psalms, he's an older man. He's experiencing exceptional trouble. And it seems like it's just never going to end, that it goes on forever. But still... He looks back on how faithful God has been. And even though he lacks some of the strength of his youth, he still has hope in God's renewing presence in his life. So our sermon title today is Old Man. Psalm 71 picks up on a petition that began in Psalm 70. Well, Psalm 70 pleads with urgency for God to rush to his help for, for assistance. Psalm 71 kind of tones things down and speaks of God being a refuge. Now, we've heard about refuge several times in Psalms already. It's a thread that runs through all of the Psalms. If you take a look and read all the Psalms, beginning with verse 2, um, and we, we saw it again in, in Psalm 31 last week, it's there very frequently. And, you know, last week we talked about needing a hiding place, the refuge. This week, we're going to go a little bit deeper into what it means to have a refuge. So, uh, the, the psalm is broken up into three sections here. Uh, David says, God is my refuge in verses 1 through 8. God is my rescue in verses 9 through 16. And God is my revival in verses 17 through 24. So, let's take a look at God is my refuge. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Now, so as we can see from Psalm 70, David's being harassed 
perhaps ridiculed by someone or maybe some group of someone's. He says in verse 2, in your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me, incline your ear to me and save me. So people are damaging David's reputation, bringing shame upon him. Now, we kind of, you know, today we kind of think, well, you know, you could probably deal with that, you know, fluff it off. But in David's culture, it's the worst thing that could happen. Dishonor and shame brought upon you. It, for a man to be shamed is not just to shame him, but it's to shame his family, his village, his tribe, and if he's Jewish, to shame his God. It goes so far more than just a, a personal thing. And David is aged. And he, he's been the king of Israel. And this damage to him is heartbreaking. Now, we all suffer heartbreak from time to time, and hopefully we know that we'll get through it. And the question is always, what do we do with it? How do we handle this type of disappointment? How do we handle this type of heartbreak? Let's take a look at what David does. The first thing he does is he appeals to a holy God. He knows that whatever he's done, this is the greatest king of all time for Israel. Whatever he's done, his own righteousness is not enough to get him through this situation. He's not re relying on his own goodness. He uses three verbs in his appeal, and each one of these verbs would bring up an image to uh, his Jewish readers, very graphic image. He says, deliver me, snatch me from the jaws of a fierce animal. Rescue me. Bring me away from that danger. Bring me safely out of that danger. And then he says, save me. I'm looking for complete salvation, complete peace, complete security. Get me out of this situation. Get me away from it. Give me some peace. He wants God to intervene. He wants God to do what only God can do. But you know what? David doesn't stop there. Look at verse 3. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me for you are my rock and my fortress. So David asks for this rock. And there's more incredible imagery here because he's not asking God for a stone like David and Goliath's stone. He's not asking God for a big rock to stand on. He's asking God to become a mountain stronghold. An impenetrable fortress of safety and security. And, and he prays with this confidence because he knows that God has already given the commandment to make him, God, the rock and the refuge, the fortress. The refuge again. Shows up 47 times in just the book of Psalms. A place of safety. God is a fortress that David can go to at all times. In verse 4, he says, Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and the cruel man. David is besieged, even though he knows God is his fortress. He's desperate, he's under attack. He sees his attackers as wicked, cruel men. You know, perhaps they are. 
we've been in these situations before. I, I don't know if his attackers saw themselves as wicked, cruel men. They might have been men that thought they had good intentions. But they're, they're doing this, this damage or inflicting this pain upon David. Maybe they think they have good intentions, but David is suffering. David is hurting and desperately needs help. So he does, he does the only thing that he knows will work in his situation. He turns to the Lord. Verse 5, for you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have learned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. Did you see that? Upon you I have learned from before my birth. David's saying, I know I'm where I belong. I know I'm doing what you've called me to do. And I will praise you for that continually. But verse 7, I have been as a portent to many. What does he mean by that? A portent. Can have several different meetings. But he's being besieged, he's suffering, his trials are all too public. Many in David's time would see his situation as a dilemma, as, as God being punishing David. Seeing that as David's relationship with God being broken. And they think his, his troubles are a sign. A portent that God has turned his back on David. And David knows that's not true. He said, but you are my strong refuge. Verse 8, my mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all day. He's old and hurting. He's under attack. He's aged enough that it's just a little harder to fight back than it used to be. So he turns to the only place he's ever felt safe, the only place he's ever felt secure and at peace, and confesses that God is his refuge. He needs God's help to resolve his situation. He needs God to be his rescue. Verse 9, Do not cast me off in the time of old age, Forsake me not when my strength is spent. And perhaps we get our first real clue as to what type of attack this is upon David. He's old, he knows it. It may be that the accusations are being levied at him against him, or is that he's no longer capable. He can't do this anymore. No longer up to the job. Maybe even David is dying. And it seems to be the case because in verse 10 we we see, For my enemies speak concerning me, those who watch for my life consult together. And say, God has forsaken him, pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. Those who are against him see his situation as an opportunity to capture him. Now we need to remember as we look at language like this, that David is the king. If they capture David, they get the kingdom. Did you see that? The kingdom that God gave David. So David cries out, verse 12, Oh God, be not far from me. My God, make haste to help me. May my accusers be put to shame and consumed. 
With scorn and disgrace, may they be covered who seek my hurt. Do you see what David's doing? He wants God to take care of the accusers. He wants God to intervene. He's the king. He could order soldiers to run through the countryside and kill everybody that is opposing David. But he knows that their fate, the fate of his accusers, is in the hands of God, not David. So he chooses, he makes a conscious decision to leave it to his father in heaven. But David knows what we know. Some participation is required. Amen? So David says this. Now, this is his part in taking care of his accusers. Verse 14. But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts of your deeds of salvation all the day. For their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. Did you see that? With the mighty deeds of the Lord my God, I will come. And I got to believe that David's thinking about the day he stood before a giant. In his youth, he was probably 15 years old. And he said this, to Goliath, 1 Samuel 17, 45. You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. See, David's weapons, and we need to see this clearly. David's weapons in the middle of his struggle are God's innumerable good deeds. They are God's might. And the righteousness of God. Not David's righteousness. David's not saying, I did this and this and this. And so this is why I'm going to go forward. He's saying, look what God has already done. Look at what God is capable of doing. David's rescue is totally in the hands of God. And David's part in that rescue is worship and praise. Oh, no, 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 John. We got to do something. We need to get active. What, what if we did that in the political arena? What if we said, oh, I don't like what they're doing. Tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to organize a march. I'm going to make some signs. I'm going to go down and talk to my congressman. And, and if I get mad enough, I'll just tear things apart. What if we went, let's see what David did. Let's, let's worship and praise. Oh, you can't really get anything done with that. Somebody told me a while ago, what, do you get to hide in your church and worship God all day long? Yeah. He's the only one that can fix this. David knows that. Yet when we get in these situations... Somebody says, oh, we need to do something, and then we all get up and try to do it. I think God smiles at that. I think he kind of shakes his hand. He goes, hmm, kids. You can almost hear 
in all of this, David doubting his own capabilities, putting his total confidence in God. And he vows to proclaim this trust and confidence that he has in his Father in heaven all the time, even when he's under siege. And all that, that attitude, I mean, you look at where we started this. Go back and take a look at Psalm 70. And as David begins to work his way through the situation and saying, what have I done in the past? Oh, I've, I've uh, let's see, uh, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, I depended on God. I trusted him. I turned to him. I let him do the work. I mean, isn't that what we saw between David and Saul? David had all these opportunities to take Saul out. He said, I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. God will take care of this. I don't ever want to be accused of grasping after Saul's kingdom. I'll let God give it to me. So that's been the pattern in David's life. So as he, as he ponders all this, as he goes through this situation, it leads to something incredible in David's life, and that is revival. Revival. Verse 17. Oh God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. David's commitment to speak of, of God's goodness and his righteousness is a lifetime commitment. Verse 18, so even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those who come. As he realizes that his body is somewhat aged and has some weaknesses and some shortcomings, probably has less stamina, a little bit less strength, I don't know how many of you realize it's a little harder to get out of the chair in the morning <laughs> than it used to be. It takes a little while longer to wake up. Not all of you, obviously. But these are signs that there's something going on. Physiologically, there's something happening. David realizes this. And he prays that God will continue to use him. He commits to teaching those who are younger I got to tell you something. Our society has abandoned the biblical model of the older teaching the younger. Matter of fact, what we've adopted is that the older need to try and be the younger. We've totally stepped away. It's been going on for a long time. Somewhere in the late 70s or early 80s, somebody said, oh, we need a youth pastor because we're too old to relate to our kids. So we're going to find some guy that's 22 or some lady that's 23, and they're not fully developed in their faith. And they're going to be in charge of raising our kids in their faith. I was asked to be a youth pastor because I wore T-shirts. I mean, what more would you need? <laughs> We've just totally stepped away from what the Bible says about how we do this. The older teach the younger. Now, the older godly ones teach the younger. The ones that have, have a proven track record in their faith. None of us are perfect. But we're in a culture that has a tendency to marginalize the aged. At a time when, when everything's in upheaval, when everything is changing, when the landscape, when the, the earth is literally moving beneath our feet. You know, you think the earthquake in Turkey was something. We're going through quite an earthquake right now uh, in, in the foundations of our culture. 
And at a time when we need people with experience and wisdom, we've turned away from them. Oh, those things don't work. Matter of fact, the things you did got us in this situation. Yeah, we're going to do something new. I used to say that back in the 60s. Me and the rest of my generation are responsible for all this, so we did do something new. It just wasn't any good. <laughs> so David has this realization that God, God can use him even in his advanced years. And that realization leads to a re-energized man. And his praise and worship of God takes on a revitalized tone. He's confident that God, who has used him mightily, is not done using him yet. He's going to continue using him. He says in verse 19, Your righteousness, O God, reaches to the high heavens. You've done great things, O God. Who is like you? You have made me see many troubles and calamities. Will re- and you will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. Look what just happened here. David, late in his life, is being attacked. He's being marginalized. He was Israel's greatest king. But now he's older and he's weaker. And there are some folks around him that say, oh, he's done. He's finished. And David has proclaimed God's goodness and his faithfulness and his glory all of his life. And if you read these verses carefully, that is his response to his distractors. He says, you think I'm done? I'll tell you what. I'm just going to keep right on doing what God has always asked me to do, what I've always done. I'm going to continue talking about God and how great he is. I'll let him decide when it's over. So David has this long history of God fighting battles for him. A lifetime of God being faithful and true to who God is. Not, not necessarily to David, but to who God is, to his, char- his own character and nature. And he draws, David draws on that, that history, and he expresses his ongoing faith in God to make things happen, not men. David, what comes, what is to do what is natural to him. Even in his old age, he says in verse 22, I will praise you with the harp for your faithfulness. Oh my God, I will sing praises to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you. My soul also, which you have redeemed, and my tongue will talk of your righteousness. Help all the day long. For they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me hurt. Hmm. Don't miss this. David's spirit is revived. He's re-energized. His detractors have really done nothing more than drive him deeper into prayer. Deeper into his relationship with his father. They've caused them, David to remind himself of how he got to be king. To remember how faithful and true God has been and will continue to be. So we've seen, we've seen these, what God is to David. So I, I just want to stop and review just a little bit because this is not just to David, this is to us. God is our 
Everything God is to David, he is to us, our refuge. What did David do when he got attacked? Did he get indignant? Say, this isn't fair? Did he fight back? Did he share his dilemma with all of his friends and try to gain some support? He went where he knew it would be safe. Where he knew that someone would know his true heart. Where he always went when he was in trouble. He found refuge in the Lord. Where do you go when you're under attack? What do you do when something rises up against you? Something you don't agree with? David has had many years to learn his lesson. You know something? He didn't always do well with that, did he? David slipped up from time to time. I'm blessed by the humanist that is David. Have, have we learned that lesson? Have we learned that lesson that when we're besieged, whether it's by the culture, whether it's by events that are a little bit closer, have we learned where to go? Have we found refuge in the Lord? David says God is our rescue. Places this situation 100% in God's hands. He's in trouble. Accusations are being made. They're flying all over the place. Maybe, maybe they hurt because there's a little bit of truth in each one of those accusations. There's something that does apply. But David doesn't feel like he's at the end of the road. Is he? You know what? Maybe so. Maybe there's more right about the accusations than David thinks. How can David know for sure? I don't think he can. But what he can do, what we can do, we can praise our Father. We can proclaim his word. We can do what we've been called to do for so long and then let God work the rest out. David's accusers are evil. God's going to take care of them. They're good. God will bless them. But God will rescue David because God is faithful and true to what he says he'll do. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God can fight for you? Do you believe that God can be your refuge? That he can be your rescue? I mean, if, if, if you believe that, if, if you embrace that, it, it's one of the primary method, messages of the Bible, is it not? If you can get a hold of God will rescue you, God will be your refuge, then in your life, in the life of our church, there will be revival. Not because we've worked up some energy, but because we've depended upon God. All the trials and all the attacks on David have do nothing more than guide David deeper into his relationship with his Father in heaven. He says, I'm in trouble. I need to pray more. I need to worship more. I need to praise more. David's response to hardship, age, and 
Everything happening to him is to double down on his praise and his worship, to do all he is able to do, to continue being a messenger of God's word and a vessel of his grace. That's us, isn't it? See, James Bond got nothing on David. Matter of fact, that lesson may have come from David. David is fully aware of his physical condition, but he also has a lifetime of experience and wisdom with God. He may not be able to run as fast or to jump as high, and he's probably not going to kill a bear or a lion like he did when he was a shepherd boy out in the field. Probably not going to happen. But he's grown in wisdom. He's grown in his faith. And he can now accomplish things he was unable to do in his youth. David knows that getting old can mean getting better. I've chosen those words carefully. Because it's up to us whether or not we see it as better. We can struggle with it. We can fight our situation. Or we can take David's lesson. And I'm going to tell you why this is important. Because much of this has been said of me. Much of this has been said of many of us. David's story, brothers and sisters, is our story. Most of us are older. Not all of us, but most of us are older. But in the years, in the 20 years that we've been together in this, we've learned to work together, haven't we? We've learned to work smarter. We've learned to use our gifts that complement each other. And we've watched time and time again as God has used our efforts literally all over the world. God has used your faithfulness to reach people as far across the globe as Pakistan, Romania, Peru, Argentina. God's done incredible things. And the question we have to ask ourselves as a church is, can we do what David did? Can we trust God? Can we offer up our finest effort and rely on the one who has sustained us, the one who has blessed us, the one who has provided for us, the one who has planted us right here in the heart of Warrington, Virginia? How will we go forward? The same way David did. You know, we need, to, we need to have some practical plans in place. We're working on that. But we're going to start right now. We're going to start right now by doing what we know how to do. So we're going to proclaim the word. Our teachers are going to teach the word. Our disciples are going to disciple the word. But the first thing we're going to do is we're going to observe Lent. Oh, what's Lent? They put some ashes on your head. We're not going to do that, are we, John? 
No, but those ashes symbolize something. They symbolize their sin. So, you know, if you're Orthodox, you go to a church, they put some ashes on your head, and you look forward to the day that those sins will be cleansed, Easter. So we're going to spend 40 days observing Lent. Here's what we're going to ask you to do. We're going to ask you to give up something precious. Kelly told me this morning she's giving up coffee. (laughs) Immediately, I I wanted to go, oh, I'll do that. But no, I'm not going to do it. But but somebody told me I'm giving up TV. I really like TV. So that's the idea. You, You put something on the altar that is precious to you. And take the time that you would be involved in that activity or eating that whatever and drinking that whatever and give it to the Lord. Spend some time in prayer. So I'm going to ask you to do that. This is between you and God. We're not going to ask you to make a public commitment, but give something to God for the next 40 days, the next 38 days, I guess. And, and spend a little bit of time each day Turning to the Lord and saying, okay, I want, I want a cup of coffee right now, Lord. I'm just going to give these few moments to you. And let's see what God does. Is because what we're going to pray about is, is where we fit in this church and where this church fits in this community. And what I'm asking you to do is I've got a vision for where we're headed. But I'm not going to tell you what it is because I want some affirmation on it. It might just be my vision. So we're going to do that. We're going to observe Lent. And then on Easter, we will come together and celebrate what God has done during this period. But to help you with that, we're going to have an hour of prayer on Wednesday night, starting this Wednesday night. And I'm just all we're going to do, it's going to be simple. We're going to open up the sanctuary at 6 o'clock. And we'll be here to pray. It doesn't have to be corporate. You can come privately. We can share together. Uh, I'll be here. Uh, you know, we have classes that start at 7 o'clock. But an opportunity for you to come into the church and pray. You don't have to be here. You can pray at home if you want to. But we're going to dedicate some corporate time to prayer. And the third thing we're going to do is we're going to have a new members class. We've got people that have been waiting to become members for some time now. And it's time for us to have a class. We're going to start on the 12th of March, not next week. Uh, and it's going to be at 10 a.m., And it might be upstairs in the townhouse. It might be downstairs in the townhouse. I'll get back to you on that. So what location will be there at the 12th? We're going to meet four times. Uh, And, you know, I've already spoken to one or two people that can't make the full schedule. We'll fill in those times privately. So if you're interested in becoming a formal member of the church, let me know and we'll get you in the class. So those are the practical things that we're going to do. But the spiritual things, brothers and sisters, is we need to dig out our set, dedicate ourselves to worship and praise. And so, you know, a lot of times when we think about worship, oh, you're talking about the songs we sing. Uh, that's certainly a valuable portion of our worship and praise. But let's worship and praise together. Let's do this together. And what I'm going to ask you is this. You know, in every organization that ever existed in the history of the world, um, people like to get together and commiserate, don't they? Don't do that. Don't get together and talk about all the things that are going wrong. (laughs) Encourage each other with 
spiritual songs and hymns and scripture. So let's turn our focus to the Father in heaven for the next 40 days and see what God does with that dedicated focus to him, to lifting him him up and not lifting up the circumstances that surround us. It doesn't mean that if you need prayer that we can't pray for you. We can. It doesn't mean that if you need counseling, we're not going to counsel you. We will. Okay? And it doesn't mean that we're going to ignore whatever problems we might be going through individually. But corporately, we're going to set our eyes on Christ and ask him to move us forward. Can we do that? Stand up for a second. Let me bless you. Father, I give you thanks for this congregation. The ones that are assembled here in this room, the ones that are currently joining us online, I thank you, Father, for their faithfulness. I thank you for the witness of the word that resides in their hearts and rises up out of them. I thank you for their commitment, not just to this church, but to your gospel, Father to the gospel here in Warrington and across the world. I thank you, Father, for their hearts that are sold out for you. And I pray now a blessing on each one of the homes that is represented here. I pray that your spirit would descend upon them, Father, that would bring comfort, would bring counsel to them, conviction if need be, Father. But I pray, Lord, that your spirit would make manifest himself among us and make himself known, Father, and lead us in the everlasting way. And Father, we give you thanks that we know you're going to do this because you have done it over and over and over again. And you are faithful and true. We give you thanks, Father, because you are who you are, We give you thanks because you see all, you know all, Father, and you know our days because they have been ordained when there was not yet one of them. So we put our faith and our trust in you, Lord. And now as we gather for a meal, we pray your blessing on the hands that have been working so diligently to prepare it downstairs. Be a blessing to them, Father. Bless our fellowship. Bless the abundance uh, materially that you pour out upon us. And we ask a blessing on those baby bottles, Lord. Fill them up for your glory, for the sake of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. We'll be back next week with Psalm 84. (laughs) Pastor John back here again. If you are blessed by the service, let me ask you to do us a favor. Would you click on the like button below that little thumbs up? If you're listening on sermon audio, perhaps you can comment or even share the sermon with someone else. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter at WBFVA. We're on the World Wide Web at WBFVA.org. Let us know if you'd like us to pray for you. If you'd like to support us financially, you can make donations through our website at wbfva.org. Just click on giving. You'll receive a tax-deductible receipt at the end of the year. Either way, we would love to hear from you or even have you visit us in person one Sunday. We meet at 46 Winchester Street in downtown Warrington, Virginia at 11 o'clock every Sunday morning. And now, may God bless you richly until we gather again.